0: How do we grow? What takes us from simply reading and listening to moving and doing? Into a roll up your sleeves and get your hands dirty kind of walk, driven by a desire to grow in grace and humility, digging in faith and on good soil, implanting His Word in our hearts, waking up to life on the other side, where peace-loving wisdom resides persevering through trials and temptation, through death and destruction, giving life breathing water through action and deed, letting it soak in and take deep root in every aspect. That kind of doing changes us. It leads us into true faith, true faith that produces good fruit and changes who we are in Christ, driving us to sow in peace and reap a harvest of righteousness, to lead with love and give to others generously with mercy, causing us to be not just hearers of the word, but doers.
1: Well, good morning and welcome to Cornwall Church. Whether you're here in Bellingham, in Skagit Valley, Boca Raton, or watching online, it is great to be together today. Um, Today we're wrapping up our Doers series, and we're quite excited about that. Um, I want to tell you something. Thanksgiving happened. Is that crazy to anybody else? It's like, how are we already past Thanksgiving? What that also means, friends, is is that Christmas is only 30 days away. Now, some of you just about like went into a full-fledged panic attack. 30 days, that's, that's plenty of time. We're going to be okay, people. We're going to be okay. But with Christmas approaching, I made an intentional effort to shrug off something that my, my parents believed to be true about me and is actually true about me. I tend to be a returner. Christmas gifts, they come, and I'm like, that's great. And because I'm fiscally responsible... To the generosity of the giver, I decide I'm going to return that and exchange it for something that I'm actually going to use. It makes perfect sense to me. So, in light of anticipating Christmas this year, I decided to get ahead of the curve. I, I've had my eye on a pair of boots that I like, they look like this, they're olokais. And, and so I said, You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to order them. So, I order them, they're delivered because I'm not sure what size. So, I get an 11 and a half and a 12. I try them on. I wear them around the house. I'm like, definitely a 12. So then I find the link. I send it to my mom. I say, mom, I promise I will not return these. I promise, guarantee. My mom says, okay, let me talk to your dad. Dad responds to my responsibility by saying, nah, (laughs) I think we're going to go a different route to which I say, the audacity. (laughs) Now, the reason I tell you this story um, is because I think we pray like that, at least some of the time. We say, God, here's what I want. Here's when I want it. Here's who I want it for. Here's how I want it to show up in my life. And would you just click the approve button? And we're all good. And unfortunately it doesn't work that way. And sometimes when we treat it that way, God says, "Nah, I got something else in mind." Because prayer is about so much more than that type of exchange. Prayer is essential to an alive and thriving relationship with our heavenly Father. Prayer is essential to an alive And thriving relationship with our Heavenly Father. When the disciples come to Jesus and they say, Will you teach us to pray? He says, Absolutely. And he starts with two words Our Father. He wants us to know, he wanted them to know, this is essential for us to know today, who it is we're praying to because it makes all the difference. We start our Father, our Heavenly Father, the God who existed throughout all time. He was in existence before time came to be. He spoke and he spoke everything into being. In Psalm 19 it says, The heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Our God is so great that he spoke and the, the complexities of our universe came to be. That is our great God. In Psalm 139, God is described as always present. There is nowhere that you and I can go from his presence. Nowhere. That he actually knew who we would be before he brought us into being. And then he intentionally knit us together in our mother's womb. That is our great God. And that God says, I want to hear from you. I want you to talk to me. I want you to come to me. He wants us to share our joys, our sorrows, our hurts our hardships, our frustrations, our anger, our disappointment in life and with him. He wants us to be real. He wants us to share our need for him, our desperation for him. He wants us to talk to him as our heavenly father. Isn't that outrageously great? That is so great. And if you tune me out for the next X minutes, Remember that your heavenly father longs to hear from you, that he is a great God who said, I am not okay with my people growing distant from me, so I'm going to send Jesus so that anyone who would come to believe, anyone who would come to believe would be adopted into my family as daughters and sons. And he longs to hear from his daughters and his sons And prayer is essential in having an active and thriving or an alive and thriving relationship with him. Without prayer, we lose intimacy. We lose meaningful connection and we, our faith is boiled down to a list of do's and don'ts. And Jesus had some pretty strong words for the Pharisees who basically operated that way. And so again, God says, no, 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 pray. Because through prayer, we grow in our intimate connection, our significant connection, our personal connection with our Heavenly Father. And I think it's because of that, or at least partially because of that, that James speaks about prayer throughout his book. And he concludes his book focusing on prayer. James calls us to pray because in prayer, we yield to God. And invite him to do what only he can in us and through us. In prayer, we yield to him. We surrender to him. We acknowledge that his ways are higher than our ways. We yield to him and we invite him into our lives. So that he can do immeasurably more in us and through us. You see, in the book of James, we read this very succinct, very um, blunt, very direct um, instruction of how it is as followers of Jesus we are to live. And he wrote these words originally to the followers of Christ who were being persecuted and were, were scattered because of the persecution as instructions in how to live. And in his book, he concludes that, that as followers of Jesus, that we are to stay focused on Jesus So that we can suffer well, while being people who put others ahead of ourselves as we are quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. So that we love as Jesus loved without showing favoritism because as we've learned, God only has favorites. And as we live these things out, our faith is reflected in what we do, which includes the words that we say, that we would choose words that would build up and encourage. And this reflects the truth that wisdom is not proved by the answer you give, but wisdom is proved by the life that you live. And wisdom points us to a God-centered life, not a me-centered life. For us to live this way requires that we yield to God and invite God to do what only he can do in our lives on our own it is impossible for us to live this way John or Jesus says in John 15:5 that apart from me you can do nothing if we try to do this on our own we will fail every time But the great news is, is that we have a God who is nearer than our next breath, and he wants to empower us to be able to live this way so that not only can we experience an intimate relationship with him, but his kingdom can come. The gospel can be presented, and more can come to know God's goodness. Absolutely amazing. Let me put this differently. If we want to be doers of the word, we must be prayers. If we want to be doers of the word, we must be prayers. If you were here last week, you heard Pastor Bob mention um, James' nickname, Old Camel Knees. I don't know if that's flattering or not, but it was given to him because the reputation, his reputation was that he owned this life of prayer. Prayer was essential. He understood its importance and he frequently spent time on his knees praying for, the, for his fellow followers of Jesus praying that they would live the way they're created to live, praying that the gospel of Jesus Christ would come and that more and more people would come to know his goodness. He understood the significance and the essential nature of prayer. And it's from this position that he concludes this incredible book. And if you want to follow along in your Bible, go ahead and turn to James chapter 5. We're starting in verse 13. But this is how he instructs us to pray. Is any... Anyone among you suffering, then he must pray. Is any one of you, any anyone among you suffering, then he must pray? Are you experiencing hardship? Anxiety? Frustration, anger, marital discord. Are you experiencing hardship in a close friendship? Are you single and longing to not be single? And that's really hard. As a child, are you having a really hard time respecting your parents as you live in their home? Is work difficult? Is school difficult? Or is there a professor that is absolutely a jerk to you? Are you, if I were to put this in my own words, are you in trouble? Then you must pray. Are you in trouble? Are you experiencing trouble of any kind, regardless of source? Are you in trouble? Are you experiencing trouble? You must pray. This is the NASB translation, and I love it because it highlights the absolute essential nature of our reality when we're in trouble that we would pray. And if we're honest, a lot of times it's in our trouble that we realize that this is out of our control. And we actually then go to God in desperation because we realize we don't get to control it, which is a little unnerving for some of us. And yet we get to pray to our heavenly father who is capable of all. Why must we pray? Because it sets our hearts and our minds on things above. Colossians Chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 say this, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. When we stay focused on the troubles that we're experiencing in this life, it leads to confusion. It leads to hardship. It leads to hurt. It leads to discouragement. It leads to separation from God and it tends to be a downward spiral. But as we experience these troubles and we set our minds, we set our hearts on things above, on our great heavenly father who is perfectly sovereign. He is all sufficient. He is with us. It has a way of putting our struggle in perspective. And as we set our minds on things above, it brings hope, it brings courage, it brings strength. It reminds us that God walks with us, even if it's through the valley of the shadow of death, that God walks with us. Gives us wisdom in how to live. And he reminds us that he provides for us one moment at a time. Now, some of you are here this morning and you've been experiencing trouble for a prolonged period of time. And you're thinking, how long, God? You're praying for something miraculous. You're praying for healing. You're praying that, that this, this relationship would be reconciled. You're praying in faith. You're praying earnestly. You're praying passionately. You're praying fervently. And yet it feels like much of the time when you're praying that your prayers are simply bouncing around the room or going anywhere but to the ear of God. And perhaps you feel lonely, discouraged, frustrated, angry at God. And I want to encourage you, if you were there this morning, first of all, I'm so glad that you are here. But if that's where you're at, my encouragement is what I think James would say to you. And that's keep praying keep praying James says whenever you experience trouble he doesn't give a duration to that trouble that you're experiencing he says whenever pray so keep praying is it hard very very likely maybe it's painful to continue to pray and yet pray because in a relationship with Jesus we have incredible promises incredible hope Philippians 4:19 says this my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. He will meet all of your needs. Now coming back to the beginning, my, my story about my boots, we want things in our timing We want things to show up as we want them, as we see fit. This is not saying that you're going to get what you want when you want. This is saying that God is sovereign, that he is big, that he knows, that he walks with you. And whether we can see it or not in the midst of the trouble that we're experiencing, that he is in fact showing up on the daily as we pray. And he's giving us the tenacity. He's giving us the perseverance. He's giving us the strength. He's giving us the support. He's giving us the faith that we need moment. By moment. That is God's promise for us who love and follow Him, that He will continue to show up and provide. Prayer is essential to an alive and thriving relationship with our Heavenly Father. As this verse continues, it changes uh, focus a little bit here. Um, Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises is anyone cheerful? Let me paraphrase this. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Are you happy? You must sing Jesus jams. (laughs) Are you happy? You must sing Jesus jams. Now I want to just quickly clarify. You're like, I thought we were talking about prayer. Now we're talking about singing. I'm not tracking. Singing songs of praise, singing Jesus jams. We're basically singing our prayers. Think about the book of Psalms. There are many prayers, amazingly real prayers. And yet many of them are written to be songs as well. So as we sing, it's like we're singing songs of praise. We are singing our prayers. Now, This couple months ago in September, I I had the privilege of going to Romania, and while I was in Romania, um, I met a guy named Sabine, who's a pastor there, and they are doing incredible work. They have one church that's to the Romanian population. They have planted six in gypsy villages, because in Romania, gypsies are unwanted. They are pushed off to the side. They don't matter. Nobody cares. Sabine says that's absolutely not the way the kingdom of God works. And as a part of our trip, I had the privilege of teaching, and I got to teach in this church, Laslia. Um, That's not me. That's Sabine. Um, It's a small church, and it's amazing. And we walk in on a Sunday morning, and the band is sitting in the front pew on the left-hand side. The band consists of one guy with an accordion getting ready just to shred it and two vocalists next to him, one of which is holding the songbook in front of him. And so then he fires up the, and I'm going, oh, this is cool. This is different. I've never heard an accordion in worship before. Um, and so he gets going, and before I know it, Andre Bocelli breaks out behind me, just, and I'm like, no! It literally made me jump. He scared me. Now, let me just say this. If this guy's familiar with James, this brother is full of cheer. He's full of joy. He's full of thankfulness because he is singing with all of himself, his whole heart. And after I recovered from being terrified initially, I was like, this guy's heart is beautiful. He comes from a village where there is next to nothing. This man has plenty of trouble in his life and yet he is singing in praising his heavenly father. Now notice what James doesn't say. He doesn't say when everything in life is going your way and you're happy as a result, then sing songs of praise. But rather what I hear James saying when I read this is anytime you experience the smallest or biggest thing that makes you happy, joyful, thankful, grateful, whatever it is, may we sing songs of praise. May we sing Jesus' jams from the heart and may it bring life. May it honor God. Now, what's interesting is as I was preparing for this sermon today, what I learned is that this is basically that God has given us a remedy for our troubles. Does it fix everything? No, but it meets us in. I don't know if you've experienced this. You've come to church on a Sunday or maybe to refuge and you start singing and you you came with a burden and as you sing, that burden feels a little bit lighter. Your spirit is buoyed. You are lifted up. Uh, maybe you've experienced that. I experienced that on the weekends. I experienced that even more at Refuge simply because we sing 10 to 12 songs at Refuge. Why? Why does that happen? God created us that way. But secondly, because we are changing what we're focusing on. We're not focusing on our troubles. Instead, we're focusing on our great God who gives us good gifts. James 1.17, every good and perfect God is from our heavenly father. And when we sing songs of praise, it reminds us of how great and loving and present and patient he is. And it's beautiful. I read an article in Time magazine. I don't know if you know this or not, but everything that I just described, it's actually scientific. Time wrote, a magazine, wrote an article in their magazine about the effect of singing, especially the, the effect of singing in community with others. And what they said is as we sing, that our brains release a neurochemical called oxytocin. Oxytocin has an amazing effect on us. It actually alleviates anxiety and stress and lessens feelings of depression and loneliness. Just because we're singing... And how much more is that true for us as followers of Jesus? It's not just that we're singing. It's that we're singing. And as we sing, we're reminding ourselves of truths that are absolutely true of our great God. As we sing, it lifts our spirits. If I were to summarize verse 13, I would basically say what what James is saying is close to what Paul was saying. And that is pray all the time pray without ceasing. Pray and know that when you pray, you're talking to your heavenly Father. So as we read the Bible, we definitely want to pay attention to the words that we're reading, but you also want to try to gather the themes that are being hinted at and when there's a shift in themes. So let me point this out. In verse 13, James is instructing us to pray how we pray personally. But as we move to 14 and 15, we see that he moves it from personal prayer to how we pray with others. So verses 14 and 15 say this. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church and pray over him to anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. There's a very specific instruction here. If you are sick, If you are ill or in a weakened state, go to the elders, to the pastors of the church and ask them to pray and anoint you with oil. This is something that we still practice today at Cornwall Church. I don't know if you knew that or not, but this is something that we still practice today. And as we pray, we pray knowing that God is able, is physically capable to bring about a miracle, a miraculous healing. We believe that to be absolutely true. And as we pray, we also always pray that God's will would be done. Is that a cop-out? Absolutely not. What it acknowledges is that his ways are higher than our ways. I would love to see this person relieved from the physical pain that they're dealing with, with their illness, but God sees the whole picture and he knows what's best. Let me tell um, a story to elaborate on this. Um, There's a man in our church named John. Over the last 12 to 18 months, John has been sick for a number of different reasons or or he's experienced a number of different physical ailments and he's been in the hospital around four times. His stay has varied from four days to more than two weeks and I've had the privilege of visiting John and every time I visit John, I get this this reaction, it's incredible. Pastor, it's so good to see you. And I'm like, all right. John, it's so good to see you. You're in the hospital, man. You know, and, and we talk, but his joy is incredible. He's like, it's so good to see you. And every time, I kid you not, every time, he says, they take such good care of me here. And this last time I visited him, after thinking, well, I hope so, because they're paid to, um, I realized this, that not only are the nurses and doctors and occupational therapists and physical therapists amazing and caring. And they're doing a great job of caring for him. But John is there to care for them. Do I want John to continue to suffer physical ailments? Absolutely not. But John is a kingdom-minded man, and he says, wherever I am, so long as God has me on this earth, I want to share his hope with people. And he does that beautifully, even when he's in the hospital again. Wherever we go, whatever we're going through, may we be that kingdom-minded I want to be like John. That man is amazing. He's very much a human being. He doesn't walk on water, but he is an amazing man. While there is a specific instruction in this passage, there's also a general instruction. It's this Are you struggling? Ask others to pray for you. Are you struggling? Ask others to pray for you in our great country, we unfortunately have become incredibly independent and we don't want to admit we need others' help. And so we don't want to ask people to pray for us because it indicates, it highlights that I am weak. And yet what James is saying is if that's the case, we need to pray. For some of you, this comes naturally. For others, you're like, I don't want to ask people for prayer. What will they think of me? Will they judge me? Will they condemn me? Will they minimize my situation and pretend like it's not a big deal? Will they be caring? Will they not? I don't know. And it's, it's scary. And it is. Those are valid fears. But James is saying, we need to push through that. And we need to invite somebody that we trust to pray for us. So I wonder, this morning are you carrying something, a burden that you have not shared with somebody that you trust? And the weight is becoming heavier and heavier every day. If you are, let me encourage you. Think of somebody that you trust that's close to you and risk by sharing that with them and ask them to pray for you. Not that long ago, I had one of those moments. I don't like asking people to pray for me and especially sharing deep with them. Um, And I had that moment. And early in the morning, I was like, this day is awful. And I reached out to one of my close friends and I shared more with him than I ever had. And I said, I need you, literally, I need you to pray me through my day. And he sent me back a very encouraging note. And he said, absolutely, I've got your back. I'm praying for you this entire day. Was it a little bit, was I like, ah, how's he gonna respond? A little bit. But in the end, I grew closer to that friend because I chose to share and because of how he responded. And God met me in an amazing way through his prayers. Absolutely incredible. So are you struggling? Ask others to pray for you. Let me say this really quickly. The same is true of the other side of the coin. As followers of Jesus, not only do we need to be courageous enough to ask others to pray for us in our struggles, but we need to be ready to pray for others in their struggles. Whether they ask for it or not, we are perceptive people, we can make observations. Here's the cool thing, you don't even have to let them know you're praying for them. (laughs) That may actually make them upset if you let them know that, but you can still pray. Like that's the coolest part about it and God can still work. It's incredible. And I want to share with you a story that I got permission to share with you because it beautifully reflects this. This this sister saw her brother's need and has prayed for him for years. This is what her email says. My brother Shannon has been homeless for years. He's been in and out of shelters and various living arrangements. Family members have taken him in for different periods of time over the last 15 years, with a generally negative ending, or with uh, with a generally negative ending each time. My prayers for him have changed over the years. For a while, it was, Lord, I don't even know how to pray for Shannon, but you know what he needs. And recently, I was stuck on, Show me how to help him. And the answer I got was, Pray. Not exactly what I was hoping to hear. But I figured I could just keep doing what I'd been doing. And then came the prayer wall. Let me pause. In our commons, we have a prayer wall. And the idea with that is that if you would like prayer but you don't want to ask somebody directly. You can write it on a piece of paper, put it in the prayer wall. And my encouragement then is as you do that, that you would take somebody else's prayer and pray for them. We want to continue to grow as a church to be a more and more praying church, a more and more prayerful church. So if you were here this morning and you're like, I want prayer, I don't know who to ask, write it on a little card out in the commons, roll it up and stick it in the prayer wall and we would love to pray for you and take somebody else's friends, okay? Um, then came the prayer wall the first weekend. I knew that I wanted to put a request uh, Put in a request for shannon, but I wasn't wasn't sure how to word it So I took a little square piece of paper home and prayed for the words to come to me The following weekend I wrote that my brother shannon will get the help he needs and stuffed my rolled request into the wall Later that week, I was talking to my mom, who watches Cornwall Services online in Arizona, and she asked if I had put a request in the wall for Shannon. I told her about my request, and we agreed to keep praying that prayer. Here's where it gets really good. This weekend, we found out that he has checked into a clean and sober shelter. Happy coincidence? I don't think so. This is nothing short of Miraculous. I know that God had to change something in Shannon's heart. I also know that there's power in prayer and I'm so thankful for all the prayer warriors out there. There's still a lot of praying to be done, but God is so good and I have hope in him. I just had to share with you what God is doing. Isn't that an incredible story? A sister who sees her brother in need and faithfully and passionately and fervently prays for him. And as I connected with Colleen, she shared with me that things aren't exactly where she would hope that they are with Shannon, that the struggles continue, but she reminded me, I am continuing to pray. Relationships can be difficult. They're dynamic, they can be challenging, and this is certainly true when we step into inviting people to pray for us, or we're asking if we can pray for other people. It can get a little challenging and a little awkward, And yet James doesn't shy away from that because James knows that this is an essential part of a Christ follower's life. And then James presses in even further. And this is what he says. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Every one of us, let me back up. Are you guilty of sin? Confess and pray. That's James' call to us as followers of Jesus. Every one of us has made a decision that honored ourselves over God. We decide that my will is better than God's, that my kingdom come would be best right now rather than God's and so we act accordingly and the reality is is every time that we make that choice, we are sinning and that creates an amazing fallout with God but the great news is that God's not okay with that. So through Christ, through a relationship with him, through repenting, we are forgiven and that relationship is restored and in essence, what James is saying is that we need to do the same thing for those that we sin against. Whether that's a spouse, a child, a neighbor, a coworker, whoever it is that as followers of Jesus, that we need to confess and pray. I don't know if you know this. this last week, there was a few prime opportunities if you needed any more opportunity to sin or I. And I'm not saying you did, friends, but there was Thanksgiving, and um, that can be stressful, and family gathering can be an amazing thing and a beautiful thing.! Eh, A challenging thing for some. And then there was Black Friday. And if you don't know what Black Friday looks like, here it is. It's crazy. Bedlam. And if you're like, yeah, let's do it. There's a prime opportunity. And I'm just saying, those two things are more stressful than you deciding, you know, I think I need to go to Costco today. And I'm sure that not all of Whatcom County and the lower BC will be there. And then you get there and you're like, oh, That's stressful, and that doesn't tend to bring out the best in us, and yet Thanksgiving and Black Friday may bring out more of the worst in some of us. Maybe just maybe you were like, oh, there's only one more piece of pie. I've had three. I probably shouldn't, but I'm gonna because it's Thanksgiving, and I'm not going to ask anybody else because me wants it. (laughs) That's just... And let me just point out one other thing. I don't know if you knew this or not, but on Friday there was a game. It's called the Apple Cup. There's a little bit of tension in state, the Civil War, so to speak. And what I know and am impressed with is how divided families are around this. Well, I went to UW and I went to Wazoo, you know. And I'm just thinking that it's possible, just possible, that if you didn't do something selfish at Thanksgiving or you didn't act my kingdom first on Black Friday and like trip some grandma in front of you, it's possible that whether your team won or lost that you may have added insult to injury and you may have said something potentially hurtful and offensive. Now, in seriousness, though, the reality is Is because we are not perfect, we do things unintentionally, sometimes intentionally, that bring hurt to relationships. And James is saying when that happens, that we need to confess that sin and pray. And pray. What I love about this is it isn't just confess, it isn't just say you're sorry, I'm sorry. The prayer piece is absolutely critical. It's like putting um, a medicinal ointment on a scratch. I know ointment's a fun word, isn't it? Um, On a scratch. And the intention of that ointment is to prevent any infection and to help healing. And in essence, that is exactly what prayer does. When we've wronged somebody and we confess our sin and then we pray with them, the person who wronged the other, the person who was wronged, we pray for each other. It has this amazing way of healing our relationship. Is it instantaneous? Probably not. Maybe depending on the offense, but probably not. And yet as we continue to pray for one another, with each other and apart from each other, God brings healing. Because again, when we pray, we invite our heavenly father into the middle of this hurt. And he is the perfect healer. Now we've seen a couple shifts in this passage and there's still one more as we continue forward. And what we'll see is that we moved from, um, um, from how to pray to focusing on whose prayers are powerful and effective. And this is what it says. The prayer of a righteous man or woman is powerful and effective. A righteous man or woman is somebody who is kingdom-minded, somebody who says, I'm going to do my very, very best to live out God's life that he has for me. I'm going to do my best to live in line with the life that God has for me. I'm going to honor him. I'm going to love God. I'm going to love others. And the more we live this way, the more in line with God and his will we become. And therefore, when we pray, we are praying more according to God's will. So naturally, knowing that God's good and perfect will is what's best, when we pray according to his will, our prayers are powerful and effective James highlights a man named Elijah. Elijah is a prophet in the Old Testament who's speaking the word of God. He is a righteous man. He is very much a man, a human being, but he is a man who is living for God boldly. And what I love about what he highlights is that Elijah sees the Israelite people turn their back on God and look to false gods. And Elijah prays an incredible prayer, a bold prayer, that actually brings about hardship on the region so that the Israelite people will turn back. At which point, Elisha prays again and the rains fall from the sky and God's blessing is on the land again. But Elisha prays again not just for himself, not just for others and in community, but he prays regionally. And I think for you and I, the instruction here is pretty straightforward, that we would be followers of Jesus who pray personally, who pray with others and for others, but that we would pray for our region and beyond, region being Whatcom County, Washington State, the United States of America, really this whole world. And I don't think it takes a rocket scientist to say the world needs more prayer, friends. The world needs more prayer. The wars, the genocide, the social injustice, the abuse of power, our politicians, our nonprofits, they need more prayer. May we be followers of Jesus who pray personally who pray with others and for others and pray regionally and beyond, believing that all the while that we're talking to our heavenly Father who is capable of all things. And may we always pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. Here's my last question for you. Are you? Pray. Are you? Pray. Pray. Are you in trouble? You must pray. Are you happy? You must sing Jesus' jams. Are you struggling? Ask others to pray for you. Are you guilty of sin? Confess and pray. Around a year ago, Pastor Bob stood on this stage and he proclaimed pretty boldly, starting with him and the pastoral team here, that we are no longer the praying church that we used to be. And he emphatically said, this is unacceptable and it will change. Starting with him and the pastor's. And this last year, we have emphasized prayer for our church because we long to become a praying church again, a prayer, a church that prays fervently so that we are yielding to God as we pray and inviting him to do immeasurably more in us and through us. Because as we pray, we become healthy. As we pray as a church, we see that God's kingdom comes to this earth in beautiful and redemptive, hope-filled ways. And what we know is that this world desperately needs more of that desperately needs more of that. And so we want to be a praying church, but here's the reality. We can be like, yeah, let's be a praying church. It starts with you. And it starts with me. It starts with us individually, and then it becomes us praying for each other and with each other and praying regionally. We want to be a praying church. What is your response? If you want an alive and thriving relationship with your heavenly father, pray. If you want to see God do great things in you and through you, we must surrender to him in prayer. What is your response? I want to close with this verse, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Jesus Christ. Pray always. My next step for us is this. Pray more continually. Pray more continually. Only you know what your prayer life looks like. Only you know what the next step is for you. But will you pray more continually? My hope is, is that you will. That I will. And then the question is, is how? Maybe review these notes and try to identify an area that James talks about that you say, man, that's the way that I need to pray more continually starting today and starting this week. Now, as Pastor Kip mentioned in the beginning, we are excited because we are entering um, the Christmas season. And as we enter, we are going to increase the opportunities for us to pray as a church. The first thing I want to encourage you to do, if you're going to be attending the Christmas Eve service in Skagit, set your phone, set an alarm that goes off daily to 1223 because the Christmas Eve Skagit or the Services in Skagit for Christmas Eve are at nine and 11 on the 23rd and we want to be praying that God's kingdom would come in awesome ways and that people would come to know his goodness. If you're coming to Bellingham, Set your alarm uh, for 1224 and pray for the same things. If you're in a small group, we're gonna give you plenty of opportunities to pray. On the 5th in in Skagit, we're gonna have a prayer vigil. On the 12th in Bellingham, we're having a prayer vigil. If you're like, I'm just passionate about prayer, you can participate in both, friends, just saying. Um, And then we're gonna have refuge and we're gonna sing our prayers to God together on the 12th here in Bellingham in Skagit the 5th. We want to be a praying church. What's your response? Will you engage in prayer? Our hope is the answer is absolutely yes. I will pray more continually.